So it was like I made it to the semifinals, and then I was like, "All right, I have to." And I and I had the you know, festival in Alaska coming up, so I was like, "Well, depending on when they want me to come back for the semifinals, I might not be able to even do it because I'm not going to pass up going to Alaska." Welcome to the Juxtapose Journeys podcast. I am your host, Eric Spitz, and in this episode I talk with Pat Siebert. Pat is a stand-up comedian based in Lansing, Michigan, who just celebrated his one-year anniversary of the release of his live album, I Do What I Want Now, and nine-year comedy anniversary on February 15th. Our conversations range from his first attempt at stand-up to prestigious titles he's garnered over the years. We talk about some of his amazing traveling opportunities to take his routine on the road to places like California and Alaska. We even have a small rant regarding our opinions on lap tracks and sitcoms. I like to have the interviews be as casual and natural as possible and feel more like conversations. Because of that, the language and subject matter can get a little loose and explicit at times, so listener discretion is advised. With that in mind, just sit back, relax, and get ready for Pat Sievert's journey in stand-up comedy. Welcome to the Juxpose Journeys podcast. So happy to have you on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. So it's funny because I was doing some research on you and quite a bit of the questions I prepared and everything I just found from your Facebook page, um, you know, figuring out things to ask and everything. But literally when I typed in Pat Sievert on Google, I mean, the first page just is filled with your Twitter handle, like an interview you did with Review, your comedy page, um, an article with Oakland Press. I mean, you're all over that first page, so it uh, made my job pretty easy. Hey, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I think I have to renew my website because I let that kind of lapse. But you know, that's pandemic. I guess that. <laughs> I know, right? I guess perfect time to take on those side projects and stuff. Yep. <laughs> but no, I just thought that was really cool. It was funny because I I tried the same experiment out on myself, and I just typed in Eric Spitz on Google and. I didn't even make the first page. Like, uh, apparently there are more important Eric Spitzes out there. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are, there's more Pat Sieverts. I, I, I've never met one in person, but I know there are some out there. Um, and I think when I first started comedy, there was one who had died in like an accident. So he was all over Google, but you know, now, now I don't think he's uh, as prominent on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that would make sense it, it's funny you mentioned that because i think at the it was either the bottom of the first page or something like that there was a patricia sievert but she she it was her obituary she unfortunately passed away i think she was like 87 or something but it's like oh that's that's close but she went by pat so <laughs> yeah i get emails sometimes for uh for a patty sievert out of uh illinois i think she's a professor uh so it's like I'll get like science journals and things asking if she wants to like sign up for things as you know. And I'm just like, for a while I would like try to find another address and be like, Hey, I've been getting emails for you. Can you like stop? And, uh, <laughs> but she hasn't. And it's been, 
you know, over a decade now. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah, that's, that's hilarious. Dang, I don't have any interesting stories like that. But what I did think was kind of funny, though, is because uh, when I'm I'm going through that first page of the of all the Eric Spitzes out there, because it was just piquing my curiosity. Um, I like clicked on one of the links because I was just curious, and it just brought me to their LinkedIn page. And um, I was already signed in and stuff, apparently. So I can only imagine, like, so I'm pretty sure they still have that feature on LinkedIn to where it'll tell you when somebody views your profile. So they're just going to see, like, Eric Spitz viewed your profile, and <laughs> their just mind's going to be blown. Oh, man. <laughs> but yeah, no, I thought that was just pretty funny. But um, anyway, in all my Google searches and everything, uh, I read that uh, story that they did um, about you in review about your history with stand-up comedy and in there it states that you first tried stand-up during a college talent show where you won first place uh what ultimately led you to enter that talent show um i mean i always liked stand-up uh you know i I mean i i'd say i liked you know comedy in general i it wasn't just limited to stand-up um uh like i think it was like by high school i was kind of watching all the specials on comedy central and stuff and I liked it. Um, I had always like kind of done writing and stuff before that. Uh, but like, um, I remember going to uh, a talent show in high school that some friends were doing. Yeah, I, was, I was a sophomore and uh, a group of people did like a, uh, a sketch from a Bill Cosby album. Like they made it into like a perform, you know, a sketch and they did it. And I was like, Oh, I, I want to do something like that. Um, and then they never had that talent show again for the rest of my high school career, so I didn't get to do it. But I, you know, had ideas for what I would do if I, you know, ever got on stage. And uh, then, like, when I was going to Western and I was going to stand-up comedy shows once a month in the student union, and uh, I went to one in February, and the the table, like, the the piece of paper on every table advertising upcoming shows is like april is the student talent thing and i was like oh well that's this is my sign this is why i should do it you know this is when i should finally do it and uh i don't know it was kind of like coming out of my comfort zone because you know i i think i still probably am kind of introverted and um you know i guess sometimes shy so it was definitely like kind of making myself do it to you know because it was something i was interested in kind of force myself to follow through and you know, I'm glad I did you know now now I feel like I'm a little more like outgoing and stuff no that's that's so cool no I yeah I identify with so many parts of that story I guess um you know pushing yourself and and getting out of your comfort zone I think that's that's super important I think that's that's awesome that you did that and um so it was almost just like you uh you know watched i guess from the sidelines and in, in high school the sketches and everything and then and then once the opportunity came up in college you're like okay yeah here's my chance <laughs> yeah yeah i i think i was always like um i i definitely would make like people of a group of friends laugh so you know i i, I knew i could be funny and like i'd write things that people liked like um i remember i i got somewhat i wouldn't say got in trouble but um i really got into the daily show uh when i was like a sophomore in high school like it was the craig kilborn daily show and i'd watch like the reruns were like every day at like 4 30 or something so come home from school do homework watch that i liked kind of like that 
satirical news thing. So I started doing like, uh, like I, I wrote like a newsletter basically called the Green Cow Gazette. And then I got a bunch of other people to like write things too. And so we'd put an issue out like every two weeks and we'd make like, I'd print, I'd print out a couple copies. We'd go to the library and print a bunch more and just like hand them out. And uh, we got like a following and then, uh, like, school wasn't, like, totally cool with it, but they also never, like, tried to shut us down actively. So, um, I was definitely, like, I knew I could make people laugh, but then tr trying to figure out how to translate that into doing stand-up was, you know, something I had to work on. Yeah, no, that's that's super interesting. I, I never knew that story. That's, that's hilarious. I've been uh, reading my fair share of... Um satire and everything and um satirical articles and stuff lately and there's i i definitely love that sense of humor too so that's <laughs> that's great. great most of that stuff is gone like i i found like a few you know going through things i found like a few copies of of things and like but it was never like i think like it was sophomore year of high school that was like our heyday where we were uh, the people I was doing it with, we got them out on, you know, kept our schedule. And then it was like, after that, it just got harder and we didn't do it as often, you know, whatever, you know, but uh, I, I like most of that stuff is just like lost, but the things I have found and read, I'm like, oh, that wasn't, you know, I, I'll, I'll read it and I'll be like, that's kind of a joke. <laughs> you know, it's like some of it doesn't have like all the pieces and <laughs> no, that's great. No, it's, it's, it's great to stumble across that kind of stuff. Um, geez, I, I've been doing that myself lately too. Like, um, just from a writing standpoint and everything too, like I'll stumble across, um, some articles I wrote for the school newspaper, some different articles I have in this, in this, uh, magazine I used to write for Substream magazine. And, uh, it's, it's cool to pick those up every now and then and just kind of revisit some of those and see how you've evolved and changed since then. Yeah. No, that's so cool. So, um, going back to that that first performance, do you remember any of your jokes? I remember some. Like, it it was like it was April of two thousand one. So I had some stuff about like George W. Bush and how I like basically how he wasn't like a legitimate president, you know, because there's all like the the controversy of him like not not winning <laughs> you know like right. stealing the election basically um i can't remember i know it was just like some some stuff about it was like some political stuff that probably wasn't that good and then um i talked about just like kind of I'm trying to think. I, I made some jokes about there was this show on MTV called Undressed that was like, uh, it, it was like a sitcom kind of soap opera thing. Like you know, it had like a sex. You know, it was like about sex kind of. But it, 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 I don't know how to really describe it. I just like I remember someone saying how good it was, and I watched it, and it was just like it was like softcore porn, but you didn't like get it to see any of the nudity. So it was basically just kind of like about that. And, um, uh, I ended, I ended the set, uh, by saying, okay, well now, uh, I'll talk about my sex life. And then I took a drink of water and then was like, okay, moving on. And then like I ended my set. 
And like when I started doing comedy again in 2012, I, I definitely used that at first. <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh, that's great. Um, no, and it, and it makes so much sense too. like your, your content with them <laughs> talking about George Bush and everything. Uh, Cause you were a history major, right? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I, I, and I know a lot of that goes into like, you have splashes of that and your, your comedy and everything now. And um, I know that's kind of, you form that in a part of your style, which I think is really cool. And, um, and then I know you mentioned, so later you came back, uh, and you didn't actually officially begin your comedy career until 30, uh, looks like you, and then you did an open mic night at Connections Comedy Club. So I guess between that time of, uh, that first performance and performing at Connections, were you just focused on writing material? Mm, nah, not really. I mean, I, I I liked it a lot, but I was also like I didn't know how to like be a comedian at at nineteen or whatever. So um, it was like I wanted to do more. So like uh, that that show at Western Western Michigan, that talent show was like the it was the week before finals. So it was like the next week took finals, and then we went home. And I was like, well, now that I'm home, I want to try to get on at Connections Comedy Club. So I was like trying to figure out how to do that. Um, and the way it worked back then was like they had um, three open mic spots on Wednesday night. You'd get, I think you got five minutes, um, but you had to call Monday at noon. You couldn't call before. And they took the first three callers. So I was like every every Monday at noon, I'd call. And I'd always, they'd always be like, oh, sorry, we already got our three. So, like, I didn't get on. Um, and then, like, went back to school at Western and did, like, any, like, open mic things I could find on campus. But it wasn't the, it was just, like, I didn't know how to go about it. I didn't know how to find comedy shows that I could maybe do. So, um, I remember, like, I was like, okay, well, I'll finish up school and my mom was like, well, what about comedy? You like doing that, right? And I was like, I don't know. I just want to finish school. I want to make sure I get that done first. And I should have should have paid attention to that. So it's like, you know, uh, graduated from school, then had like that, 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 that like post-college years where you're like not fully like grown up yet. It's like, like I, I've had some people call that period of time sad college because <laughs> you're like, seeing like your friends from college sometimes and you know just like it's like a strange kind of in-between time um so I end up like getting a job at Atlantic Community College I'm like working there people were like you should do stand-up and I was like oh well I kind of did once and I you know thought about doing it but then you know life just kept going on and then it was like when I was 30 I was like you know I I, I kind of do want to do that again and <laughs> you know so I guess I've had like my 11 years of not doing it and then thinking about coming back. Yeah. And, and that I feel like makes it a lot more powerful too. And I just I find it so funny because I feel like it's usually, you know, the reverse ad advice from your parents and everything. Like, yeah. like if you were just like, no, you know, like, no mom, I want to focus on my comedy and everything. She's like, no, you should really focus on your schoolwork. <laughs> but it was you saying, no, I'm going to focus on my schoolwork, mom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure if I had been like, you know what, I am going to do comedy full time and I, I don't care about school. That probably wouldn't have gone over very well, but um, I mean, I'm sure if I had been like, yes, I'll find a way to make both work, <laughs> they would have been happy. But 
I don't know. I, I, I should have listened, but also, I don't know. I, just, like, kind of doing comedy when I, starting again when I was 30, I had at least, like, experienced a lot of things in life that I hadn't when I was that young. You know, like, I kind of understood what it was like to, you know, have a job and, you know, all, all these adult things that I could I could relate to more and I had more things I could write jokes about. I, I think... If I had tried to do comedy full time at twenty, I would have definitely been like, "Oh, here's this, here's this quirky young kid talking about, you know, whatever." No, that's that's a really interesting way to put it. Um, I, I do, I agree with you. I think you know, just living life and having different experiences just kind of add to, you know, the writing process and the storytelling and everything like that, and it just makes it more. I guess, powerful and relatable in that way to you can just bring your own life experiences to the table and you've, you're a little bit more well-rounded and stuff by then. And uh, it's, it's so funny because I think the best analogy I've ever heard of like those, those years after college to where you're just kind of stumbling along trying to figure things out was um, <laughs> when you, when you're like playing a new video game, but you skip the, the tutorial on like how to use the controls and then you're just kind of like, Oh, well, what do I do now? And it's like it's it's like the most perfect analogy I've heard. Yep. Yeah, I think the the sad college analogy I use, I just like saw that randomly on Twitter and I was like that's perfect cuz it's like, you know, you're it's like you don't feel like an adult yet. You know, like especially for like people around our age, it's like a lot of people go you know, they'll go back to their parents' house you know, for, uh, you know, some period of time until they kind of figure things out. And it's like, you were, you were independent, but now you're back. And you're like, Oh, I know it's, yeah, it's so crazy. I mean, everyone's just kind of following along their own path and then just like, they'll have those, you know, those years to where they're still trying to figure things out. And yeah, like you said, they'll move back in with their parents or they'll just go through a career change or, you know, they'll end up doing something they just completely didn't expect. And, and, uh, and end up really liking it or just find out or just try something they thought they really liked and found out that they really don't like it after a while. <laughs> so yep. it's, it's crazy how those things go. I'd go back to Kalamazoo in like those first couple years after college. And it was just like, it was like, I used to live here. Like I used to you know, go to all these places and now it just feels like another lifetime ago kind of. And it was only, you know, two years or whatever. No, I, I, I hear you there. I mean, I lived in Saginaw for a few years while I was going to Saginaw Valley and it just feels like a, like it, even though it wasn't that long ago, it just feels like just a separate part of my life. It's hard. And I know that's probably how you feel about <laughs> going back to Kalamazoo. It's, it's different. It's, it's almost like a weird, surreal feeling when you return. Yep. I would go to Kalamazoo for comedy. So it'd be like, sometimes if I was like, you know, if I could arrange it, like, oh, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll stop at this restaurant or whatever that I used to go to, uh, for old times sake. And I, it's like, you know, you, then you're like, if it's ever like not a great experience, I'm like, oh, was this always bad? Or is it just like, was it built up in my head? Cause I liked it so much then or yeah. <laughs> no, I, I completely get that too. Um, <laughs> I'll do that and stuff with, with movies and everything too, that are just really nostalgic to me. And then like, I'll return to them later and then just be like, man, is that, that really what that movie was or something like that? Like, I remember it being so much better or something. I feel like I was just hyping it up and yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's wild. 
Um, so how does the process go for you, I guess, writing material and writing jokes? Do you designate time to sit down and do them or do you just kind of, you know, as they come to you, just write them down? Just kind of as it comes to me, try to write things down or, you know, yeah, maybe sometimes I, I feel like towards, you know, later on, it was just kind of like, oh, I'd have an idea and maybe like, I think kind of through how I would how I would talk about it. So then I just kind of like write bullet points of like the order I wanted to try to go in. Um, I've never been good at like sitting down and being like, okay, let's write some jokes. Let's, <laughs> let's do some writing. <laughs> and I should probably try to do that. You know, maybe it would, even if it, even if it was just like free writing, maybe that would get me in a mindset to work on it more. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, you know, it's, it's all about whatever works for you and everything too. And, um, it's, it's hard to describe, I guess, speaking from a personal standpoint, what works best for me too, for like just even writing or doing anything creative in that way. Cause I, I forced myself to sit down and write more, I guess, with the pandemic and everything going on, um, to just to get more in the routine of doing it and stuff. And it seems to help, I'd say to a certain extent. And I think just like, you know, reading more and being more well-rounded and actually just, absorbing more information definitely helps too and i i feel like it helps to be able to like translate that into your own voice for something or at least from what i've experienced going back to connections because i i just had like a you know a trip down memory lane when i first read that in that review article about you performing at connections uh because unfortunately i never got to experience like a show at connections but my brother went all the time and just raved about how great it was he loved going to the shows there and um it was so wild too because i was looking into their history and i guess they started as a bowling alley <laughs> back in 1979 and then they they've hosted people like drew carey tim allen kevin hart paul mooney like some pretty big names for sure and uh I guess their last show was Carlos Mencia, and that was another <laughs> time trip too. I almost forgot about him. Yeah, and, um, I mean, I, I mean that. I think it was like they built it during the comedy boom, which was like the mid '80s. I think it's like people say it was basically like the mid '80s to like '92, maybe. Uh, it was like stand-up comedy was like huge, you know. Is you know all these comedy clubs opened, and then it's like people lost some interest in it and then they all kind of <laughs> slowly died away. Um, so yeah, it was like, I think I went to connections comedy club once in like 2001 and saw a show. And then, you know, just, you know, when I wasn't doing comedy, I didn't think about it. Maybe it would be like over the years be like, Oh, it may, might be fun to go there and like see a show, but I, I never did. Um, and then in like 2012, when I wanted to get back in it, I was like, oh, I should go check out what their open mic is like. I checked out other cl other comedy clubs for open mics because I, I was like, I should do my first set in a comedy club. I didn't know about like bar shows or anything. So, um, you know, that that's where I started. And I like I loved it there. Um, and I think I was probably like maybe let myself be oblivious to the fact that they maybe weren't doing as great as, you know, they would have been in their heyday. And I don't know. I, I think it was when it, when the final, when it closed, it wasn't like a hundred percent a shock, but it was still like, you know, I remember I was like, what? Oh, I'd be like, I'm never going to get to go up there again. Like they just like, they announced they were closed and they were, they were done. Yeah. That's it. 
Uh, when I was reading the article, that's kind of what I gathered too, is it just took some people by surprise because it was just so sudden. I mean, they just were celebrating, you know, 30 years of business and everything. And they're like, oh, by the way, we're closing. <laughs> yeah. And there's like a lot of stuff that, you know, uh, definitely rumors among like comedians they're like oh it, it wasn't not, it wasn't that it was doing not doing good business there was other stuff and it's like i don't know how much of that is true but you know they like they closed then it was within like a couple of weeks that they like auctioned off all this stuff and then like eventually the building got knocked down and now it's an o'reilly's auto parts so it's like <laughs> it's just totally gone there's no <laughs> no sign yeah. of it Oh man, I know it's crazy how times just change and how how quickly things just transform into something different. And in this case, in O'Reilly's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like when I was that's... going there, it would be like, you know, I did the open mic a couple of times, and then like it, they they'd always like they didn't have the open mic from uh, May until October. They like basically because in the summer for comedy clubs, I think in general, but for them specifically, that's like a really can be a downtime. Not a lot of people come out to shows in the summer. So they like cut back to just, you know, we'll do the Thursday, Friday and Saturday. That'd be the only days were open. So they didn't have the open mic anymore. So it was like, I remember doing like a few open mics in like the winter and spring of 2012. And then like the club closed. So I found other places to go, you know, do, do sets. So then like, I remember coming back in October and like I had more material and I had gone up a lot more. So I like had made progress and then like suddenly I'm just like doing really well on the open mic, getting on all the time, getting to do longer time. Eventually I'm getting to do you know guest spots in front of like the the weekend shows and eventually I get asked to like volunteer and host for a weekend. Um and it was just like I I, I would hang out there most weekends if i wasn't doing anything else i'd go there at least one of the nights sometimes it'd be like friday night and saturday and i'd be there just hanging out maybe get time and just just be in there like i think that was pretty essential early on so it was, it was definitely a bummer when they closed yeah no i i can completely understand that and um that was something i was actually gonna ask about too so i was curious on how the whole process works for um just really getting involved with some of these shows. Cause I know you've traveled quite a bit for it too. Like you've gone to California, Alaska and some pretty awesome places. So is it, um, do you get invited or asked to go to some of those places or some of it, like you just reach out and try to sign up for? It's a mix of, of all, of a lot of those things. Um, let me like, I mean, for the shows around here, uh, for most like open mics, it's kind of just asking for time. Um, I mean, sometimes if there's a lot of people asking, it can be, it can be like discouraging to, you know, not get, not get chosen. I, I feel like that's definitely something if you're, if you're new to starting out, you got to get, you know, get used to some rejection, you know, that doesn't feel fair. But, um, and then for like the, the California thing I've done, like that just happened with like, I met uh a california based comedian at a comedy festival in michigan the uh gilda's laugh fest in grand rapids um met this guy dash and you know me and a couple other of my friends were you know friends with him on facebook and then he knew people putting on the festival in california up in uh uh redwood country um it was kind of like you should have these guys on 
And that, and, and then the host of that the guy running the festival was like, sure, if they want to do it. Um, and, you know, you know, none of it was paid. It's just like a vacation with doing comedy and seemed like a fun opportunity. So I'm glad to get to do it. So that was kind of just kind of like lucking into something there because of people I'd met. Um, and then like Alaska and other festivals, it's just kind of like a lot of these places, a lot of these festivals will say, we're taking submissions, send us, you know, fill out this form, send us a clip and we'll, we'll see if you would fit. And that can be, sometimes that can be a really kind of easy process where you feel like you're, you get accepted and sometimes festivals will turn you away and you won't get any really reason why you just, uh, like a lot of some festivals it's tough because it's like you know we're booking 20 we have 20 spots to book and we might get you know 100 applicants or whatever and i feel like i've had luck with applying to things that are a little less like a little less high profile i guess um so eventually maybe i'd want to do something in like boston or new york but i don't know how how far <laughs> i don't know if that's just a long ways off or what no, that's a that's a cool thing to shoot for for sure. Um, do you have a favorite venue that you performed at? Um, I mean, I'm definitely partial to Max Bar in Lansing. I think that was being you know, because that's like a that, that was like a comedy bar show that you know when I I got on once and just kind of was like, well, I'm going to be here every week. Hopefully, I can get time. And then within like a couple months, I'm you know I was kind of a featured person on the show. Where I'd always get a spot, and that was so so critical because you, know, you if I if I knew I had that you know I could I knew I had that guaranteed stage time it kept me motivated to keep writing and getting better so uh, that's always going to be a big one um, as far as comedy clubs like it, it you know my one of my you know one of my favorites is uh, Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase in Ann Arbor I I love that place. Um, I think that's like I went and saw some comedy shows there before I started doing it just to like get back and get more immersed in the world. Uh, yeah, that place is great. And it's like the same same owners since the 80s. So, you know, they're I mean, I'm sure they're I think they're struggling now with the pandemic, but um, they're good people. I, I support them. That's that's it's great. Yeah, definitely. And that was that actually ties into my next question, because I know you know, COVID has uh, um, just <laughs> affected so many different businesses and, and parts of the world and everything. I know it's affected the live music scene and just live performances in general. Um, and I know we've talked about this briefly before, but um, how have you adjusted to the, the strange times of COVID? Like, have you done any, you know, virtual shows or anything? Yeah, I mean, I've done done some virtual shows. It's It's not... I don't know that I, I don't know that I'm particularly good at them. I just, you know, had the opportunity. So I've, so I've tried them, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's just awkward to, you know, try to do jokes and you're not sure if people are listening or enjoying it and kind of can get in your head. Um, so that's not good, you know, like, but I've done some things where it's like, you know, a chat with somebody like, you know, and it can maybe go in a funny direction, you know, those kind of things are, are better. And then I've done some like outdoor shows. Like I did a show at, uh, 
like on a drive-in theater stage, like, you know, where people were sitting in their cars or sitting, you know, outside their car, like sitting in chairs by their cars, that still wasn't like, <laughs> it wasn't like normal stand-up. Like, it's going to be like, honk your horn if you like it. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's an adjustment for sure, and and I can completely understand that, um, especially for something where you're you know relying on the crowd and relying on that that kind of feedback and energy and stuff. That can be really difficult if it's if you're not really getting that in the in the normal way, I guess. Even like a TV set, there's still people in the room laughing, like <laughs> right. It's almost need to like go back to laugh tracks or something like that or have different cues. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. <laughs> what's oh, what's your stance on laugh tracks? I guess I don't like it. You know, I, I don't know. It's like it's never something like if if they had never told us that that, that laugh tracks existed, I might have just like not thought about it at all. Like, you know, but you like watch an old TV show now, and and when you know it has a laugh track, you're like, oh well, that that's fake then. You know that they, those people must not have liked people didn't like that one that much. But you know, no, for sure. It's it's funny because growing up, I mean, I never really thought about them much. You know, I just they they were just kind of second nature in these things, and then I didn't really give them much thought till. Some people seem to be really polarizing on them, which is kind of why I brought it up because there are some people that are just like you know. Like, oh, I hate laugh tracks. Like, they ruin it. Like, don't tell me when I'm supposed to laugh, all this stuff. It's like, I never really noticed much before, but now that you mention it. <laughs> well, that's like the people who will be like, oh, I can't watch these old shows that use a laugh track and it takes me out of it. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I feel like they're they're trying to set the laugh track to go off with what they think is like the best, jo- you know, the jokes that they wrote. Uh, you know, maybe you didn't like that joke, but I mean that, I don't, it's not fair to say that just cause you, you didn't like a joke doesn't mean that other people didn't, you know, other people wouldn't either. I, right. I think my favorite show that has a laugh track has to be Seinfeld. Yeah. It's just one that's just timeless that I, you know, constantly go back to as such a big cult following. It's still so relevant today, even though it hasn't aired in years and, uh, I'm actually in a couple Seinfeld groups on Facebook to where they just post memes and it's just like so wholesome and refreshing to me and it just never really gets old. So, but, um, yeah. And maybe I just never noticed them in Seinfeld before. Cause I'm always just laughing at the same time that the laugh track's going on. So I just, I never really gave it much thought around this point in the conversation, Pat pointed out that he believed Seinfeld was filmed in front of a live crowd. After digging into it, it turns out Seinfeld used a combination of a laugh track and live audience while filming, so technically we were both right. Jerry's apartment was a soundstage set usually taped in front of a live audience whenever possible, while anything filmed on the streets of New York, or more specifically, the Brownstone Street backlot at Universal Studios in California, could not accommodate a live audience who relied on laugh tracks. I could be wrong. I, I don't know off the top of my head which shows did and didn't. That's yeah, I could see that actually. Now that you mention it, I don't. Yeah, I don't know because I mean it's like I mean I guess a lot of most of the episodes took place in like someone's house or someone's apartment, you know, like so. Yeah, I I don't know, but I, I feel like a lot of shows even like even shows that did have a live audience sometimes they'd sweeten with like 
a laugh track because they're like, oh, this one didn't get as big of a reaction as we wanted or whatever. I I don't know. I mean, I guess that's disingenuous, but it, it doesn't like ruin the show for me. <laughs> right. No, I agree. It's like, you know, if you like a show, you'll excuse a laugh track. If you think a show is bad, then the laugh track is just like, it's more ammunition for why it sucks. Like, people would be like, Big Bang Theory sucks, they have a laugh track. <laughs> it's like, well, you probably just think it sucks. Like, you weren't, you know, the laugh track isn't what did it for you. Like, Right, it's almost like a scapegoat. Like, it's all the laugh track's fault. So, yeah, since we're on the subject of just, like, crowd energy and things like that, I guess thinking back to the the pre-COVID days, because it's, it's hard to count anything during the COVID times, but have you ever had a time to where um, you just had, like, a really difficult crowd or or maybe even at a heckler or something? Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I never had stuff like that that often, but, you know, there's definitely been times. Like, when you're new, you don't know how to respond to, like, something that's like disrupting the show try to like power through it i don't think that's the right way to do it um but i'm also like not most people aren't (laughs) don't want to aren't really equipped to handle someone like actively disrupting the show or going after them like i don't know that's not why i it's not what i (laughs) did comedy to do i um trying to think like one of the worst one of the worst times was just like it was like it was 2014, and it was in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, at a casino, and I was the feature act. So that's like you know, do about 30 minutes, and I don't know, like I I felt like I felt like that was a stretch. Like I felt like I could get there, but I didn't. I wasn't like totally confident in my abilities yet. But you know, I was like I had work offered to me. I might as well try to do it. Um, so like, so I went there and, uh, it's like Sault Ste. Marie's like, you know, seven hours away or whatever. So I had like the whole drive to like, think about it and, you know, I get there and it's like from the start, it's like not going very well. Cause it's like, you know, the weird, there's like weird energy in the room and a lot of people are drunk and it's just like, and it's just like, it's from the start it's not going well, and then I'm just, like, trying to push through it, but they're just getting worse, and, like, people are yelling stuff. I think that's, that's like, one of the sets I would say is, like, one of the worst ever, like, that I've ever had, and I felt super bad, and I was, like, party was, like, I should just, like, go up to my room, but then the headliner, who I really wanted to see, because it was, it was Stuart Huff, who was great, um, he went up there and, like, he was, like, fuck all you for you know, disrespecting him while he's trying to do jokes and, you know, tore, you know, like tore into them a little bit. And then he like, he did really well. So, you know, that's, I was like, oh, well, I, I have a lot to learn here. And like, I think it definitely like, I remember driving back the next day, just like, am I not good? Am I, am I terrible at comedy? Um, but then it made me think about like, well, I should try to do things that I like and not worry about like trying to do trying to be someone I'm not to like make people like me. Um, so I don't know. I might not ever go back to Sault Ste. Marie to that casino, but I feel like I, you know, things like that. I try to grow from them and hopefully it made me better. Yeah, definitely. No, I think there's a lot of, you know, growing opportunities in those moments for sure. As, uh, as difficult as they are to go through in the moment. Yeah. Helps you kind of be better equipped for them later and stuff. And, uh, 
I know. I always find it interesting because I know, you know, everyone, every comedian seems to react to crowds and everything differently. You know, some attack it, you know, head on and some just are very aggressive or blatant with it. Some are more subtle or, or kind of, you know, more kind of almost go the more embarrassing approach, but, but like being subtle, I guess, about it. So it just depends on everyone's style, I guess. It's like sometimes, sometimes the crowd can just be, sometimes the crowd can be bad. Uh, I, I, I feel like the, 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 the comic who says like, it's never the crowd. It's like, nope, that's, that's not true at all. Um, but that doesn't mean it's always the crowd. Like if you, if you, if you're consistently bombing, it's like, it's probably not the crowd. Like if, if nobody, if nobody likes you, then it's not everybody else is wrong or whatever. But I mean, yeah, I'm not saying it's like even to that extent, but, um, there's definitely like times where it could be an off night for you or it could be an off night for a crowd or it could be a good crowd that's not into what you're doing. Like, that's definitely a thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I probably wasn't what that crowd in Sault Ste. Marie wanted to see. They, I mean, I don't know that they, most of them probably weren't even there for comedy. They were just there for whatever was going on. And I don't know if maybe I'd been, if I'd been a different person came out doing a completely different thing, maybe that'd have been like, oh, that guy was fucking great, you know? (laughs) Yeah. No, yeah, definitely. No, that that does make a big difference. I mean, just just thinking about uh, you know, I go to concerts all the time, and like uh, it, that definitely does make a big difference. If like there's a opening band that just doesn't quite fit the fit the bill of like the other bands like performing that night. I mean, you know, I listen to a lot of different stuff, so like I don't really mind the vibes just kind of different. But there are some that just like you know either really get into it or some that just you know, just don't get into it at all. And I feel like that'd be so, I feel like that'd be so hard from a performing standpoint to where just like people just kind of are going through the motions almost because it's just not really a band there. They're either familiar with or they like that much or, or not even so much that they don't like them, but it's just not their style of music. Yeah. And they just kind of just stand there. In like 2014, I think it was, I went and saw the new pornographers, which they're like, you know, an indie indie rock band you know they're not like a hard sound or anything they're not like i I don't know how i'd describe it they're but they're you know they have like that indie rock thing going on they're not you know but one of their openers is like this punk band that was like very aggressive and screaming and it was like it did not fit at all and i was like i don't know who made this call like yeah, that's pretty much exactly what happened at the show I was envisioning. I was describing that story. Like, I, I believe the uh, the opening band of one show I went to was um, Slingshot Dakota, which I, I love them. They're like a, you know, they're like a duet indie band, kind of very like synth heavy and kind of ambient. Um, and like, I love their stuff. And like, so I was like getting into it and like singing along and stuff. But like, either no one else really knew who they were. Or they just didn't really care, but no one else was like doing anything. <laughs> and then, and then like, but then I get it though, because like the next band to come up, um, was like a, basically like a two step metal band. This is like, this is completely different. And then crowd got really into it then. So I was like, Oh, that's more what they came for. <laughs> yep. I think like the singer of the, the band that was just like, screaming you know hardcore music like even joked around about how it was a bad fit i don't know if i'd accept that if i thought it was going to be a total like 
mismatch. Right. That's interesting to think about for sure. I mean, there's there's so much to, that goes into it. I mean, like with music, like with comedy too. I mean, just uh, the style that, that the person goes on stage and, you know, their sense of humor, their, I guess, stage presence and yeah. you know, body language and everything. And that's that's something that was like, uh, that I really learned. So my, my one uh, moment of fame when I, <laughs> when I was in the uh, Max Comedy Power Hour, for anyone listening, just to give some like context and stuff. So it's uh, it was sixty comedians. Um, they each had sixty seconds on the stage, so it literally took an hour. And I mean, they were very strict and serious about that sixty seconds. They had a blow horn and you know, like an air horn and everything after each performer. And then the next one ran up, and they had a number, and they were all waiting in a line. And I was like, oh, it's, you know, sixty seconds. I was like, if I'm ever gonna try you know, stand up or something like that. I mean, it's like 60 seconds. That's all it takes. You know, it's like, I feel like I could go up and, and put something together in 60 seconds. But I, I feel like having that small, um, window of time almost made it more difficult because then you have such a small window of opportunity to really just get the attention of the crowd and, and get them into what you're doing. And I mean, and then it just, and it goes to show too, like I, I had, something roughly prepared for it. But, um, once you, you know, once you're standing on the stage and you're staring at the crowd and like the lights are hitting you and you're, you know, speaking in the microphone, it's like, it's completely different feeling. You almost just like, for me anyway, it's almost just like you lost everything you were just thinking about. You just, <laughs> just like, you have to like do some adjusting for a second. So it's, no, I have a, I, I, I mean, I, I've always had a tremendous respect for comedians, but I feel like it only grew after that because I was just like, man, it's, they make it look so natural and so easy, but it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, it's like, you know, it's body language. It's the timing of the joke. It's the way you word it. It's, there's so much that goes into it, you know, that determines if it's actually like a hit or if it's funny or not. Well, and you have to think too, like the first, you know, the first time doing it is going to, it's so like, it's so new, you know, you've never done anything like it before. You know, I think it's definitely like normal to have nerves. And then, so yeah, adding to like, and it's like, I, and I only have 60 seconds and I can't go over and I have to try to get laughs. Comedians who have done it a while faced with that. Like I, it's kind of like, I was just like, well, you know, I don't even know if I have like a joke that I can do in a minute. So it's like I'm gonna to try to talk about something else or do something, you know, you know, maybe something that's not typical, just because it's like this might this will be funny and it'll be it'll fit in the time. Yeah, like I I've done different things because I like we it was Dan and Robert and I. The two people Pat's referring to are Dan Curry and Robert Jenkins, two comedians that are also from the Great Lakes State. We're all at a comedy festival in Columbus, Ohio, where they had that. So, um, yeah, it's kind of like I'd, I'd always done like one liners or like small throwaway things where I could be in the middle of something, the alarm goes off and I leave, you know? Right. No, I, I think I remember your bit from that night. It was, um, it was just random history facts and it was just kind of your own splash and sense of humor on, you know, taking a, a fact from history and then just saying some sort of commentary about it. I thought it was great. It was a very like fresh, original approach to things. It incorporated your style and uh, and and obviously a much better game plan than <laughs> than I had going into it. Because it's funny because I, I was 
before that I was hemming and hawing on even if I wanted to do it. And then, um, one of my friends convinced me, he was like, well, if someone drops out, just say you'll be willing to be an alternate. I was like, okay, I think I could do that. Whatever. You know, that's fine. And, um, as luck would have it, somebody dropped off or somebody dropped out of it or didn't show up. So call it fate or just call it dumb luck or whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. I was like, okay, I guess I'm actually doing this. And, uh, you know, my mindset going into it was just kind of taking that different approach, like what you said, and just, um, and not really do like a traditional comedy bit, but instead I just wanted to pump up the crowd and, and just kind of use it as like a time filler and distraction. Cause that's, I guess incorporates my weird sense of humor too, <laughs> to where there wasn't really much of a point to it. I was just talking and rambling about getting people excited about things. Like when somebody comes on the stage for a band, like, Oh yeah, you're ready for, you know, so-and-so to come up next and the crowd just goes wild it's like okay that's like 10 15 seconds right there and then i just get him excited about something else and that was literally my game plan going into it but then i think three or four people um before i went on they did that exact same thing so i was like oh no <laughs> what do i do now that's i've yeah. seen comics have like a bit that's like you know it starts off like hey, you know it's great to be here today. You know, I just got engaged and like people clap for that. And then like, and then like, and I just found out that my girlfriend's pregnant too. And like people, you know, just like doing everything they can to get like an applause break. And it's just like, it's funny, but you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, it seems like that's a thing people discover. And, you know, I, I, I would definitely like, I didn't know that was your plan. I might have been like, someone else might do that. But, you know, if, if not, then you can do it for sure. And, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like, I think I was secretly like trying. I was I was trying to kind of make it a secret. <laughs> so in case somebody like stole that idea or did something. But I mean, I should have known that, you know, people do that anyway, which it, it makes sense, too. Even if you're just kind of getting into the rhythm of things, it's a good thing to like, you know, just just feel the energy of the crowd and kind of you know, get a confidence boost before you start diving into stuff. And, and, and also in kind of a weird way, it works as a joke too. Cause it's like, once they kind of figure out your angle. Yeah. I'm not like those, those shows. It's like, it's definitely, it's, it's such a, it's kind of like a departure from normal. So that's, that's kind of cool. Uh, it's a cool thing about it. Um, yeah, I wish we could have done one this year, but you know, we had one planned for September, but it didn't happen because, you know, nothing happened. <laughs> right. Yeah, definitely. Um, and something I wanted to touch on real quick, because I know, uh, back in 2019, you were named the funniest person in Grand Rapids. And I was trying to look up, uh, information about that whole, I guess, event in general. So from what I'm gathering, it sounds like, you know, each participant goes on stage for eight minutes and then they pretty much go head to head against another comedian. And then it's based off crowd reaction to who advances. Is that kind of how it's set up? feel like things have changed like every year that I've done it they've made some changes to it but I think it's like 80 comics can sign up and then they do preliminary rounds for like 10 weeks where eight people will go up and everybody does eight minutes and there is usually a judge pick they'll get like someone from like a talent agency or other like other comics aren't in it or whatever. So that person, they, they'll have someone move on that like the judges decide 
to move on and then someone move on by the crowd vote which like people like they'll call everybody up and be like ah if you want if you want pat sievert you know clap and you know they kind of try to figure it out that way so then they do those preliminary rounds until they get 16 and then they get it down to eight and then that's the final show and then yeah that's that and that final show is like everybody does their set and they give paper ballots to everybody and everybody has to vote for three people the person they like the best they put uh three oh wait no yeah they they rank their top three one to three and then uh the people who if you're someone's first choice you get three points if you're someone's second choice, you get two points. If you're someone's third choice, you get one point. Um, then they take all the ballots and they add it up, and uh, whoever has the highest score based on all that wins. Okay. No, that's that's pretty exciting, though. I mean, it feels like a pretty drawn-out process, so that's uh, that's quite the accomplishment to uh, to be named the funniest out of, out of all those 80s. So that's really cool. Congrats on that for sure. I've been doing it. Because I started in 2012, I didn't know about the contest then, or I think I maybe heard about it like after it was over. So then I entered in 13, and I got to the semifinals. So I felt really good, but I didn't feel like obviously I wanted to get to the last round. So I was like definitely like you know felt like the next year like I got to prove myself. I got to get to the finals. So then I did, and then like the next year I got to the finals. So then and then the next year I got to the finals. So then. Yeah, I was always like never good enough to get in the top three or like, yeah, I mean, when you're at that level, it's hard to say like I wasn't good enough or whatever, but I I wanted to get into the top three. So then I was like 2017, I didn't even make it to the second round. So I was like, well, maybe I'm going to take a break. So I didn't do it. I didn't do it at all in 2018. And then like 2019 came around and I was like, oh, I I think I want to try it again. And I'm just going to like not worry about it because you know you when you're when you're doing it sometimes you have that temptation to be like i'm gonna get everybody i can to go every time i'm on there i need to i need to pack that room with people who are going to cheer for me and you you get like all this like politicking and i don't know like doesn't doesn't feel like you're being funny if you're trying to do it that way like i mean you, you obviously you have jokes or whatever but if you're just like if i if you have to bring 80 people are you really proving anything so it was like when i didn't really try to get anybody to come at all is when i did the best ironically it's so funny how those things work though i mean um just thinking back i feel like it's almost when you have no expectations and you just kind of go into something it's like oh i'm just gonna you know have fun or, or just enjoy the experience and that's when you end up you know, surprising yourself and doing really well. And in this case, <laughs> taking home the prize. So that's, that's awesome. My parents came and then like some of their friends who had come before were like, they didn't, you didn't even let us know he was in it. And that's when he won. And it's like, well, I, I didn't expect to win. Like I, <laughs> I was doing it. And like, I just was like, I'll just do the best I can. And, you know, I get the, someone will film my set so you know i might get a good tape and you know it's that's that's cool I, I was just looking at it for the stage time and you know see what happens so it was like i made it to the semifinals, and then i was like 
all right, I have to, and I, and I had the you know, festival in Alaska coming up. So I was like, well, depending on when they want me to come back for the semifinals, I might not be able to even do it because I'm not going to pass up going to Alaska, you know, to do this. So like, but then that worked. So I got to go to Alaska. Like they, they, they had me on the, the week before I went there. So then like I'm in Alaska looking and seeing who else made it through. Cause it was like, there was two, two semifinal rounds. And so I saw like everybody moved through and, I remember talking to the guy I was staying with out in Alaska, and he was like, oh, so you could win the whole thing? And I was like, well, probably won't. But he was like, well, but you could, though. And I was kind of like, I just dismissed that. But I was like, well, maybe maybe I have a chance, you know. Then I got back from Alaska, and, like, I got sick, I think, from, like, someone on the plane must have been sick. So it was like I had, like, this upper respiratory thing, and I felt terrible. So I was like... Now I'm going to go to the finals and I might not, <laughs> I don't feel good. And, you know, luckily I felt okay enough to do that. And that's when I won. It was just like, I think it was every step of the way. It was like, should I even keep going with the process? And <laughs> No, that's so awesome though. Yeah. I didn't know the full backstory of uh, it timing up with Alaska and everything too. So that, <laughs> that, that'd be really interesting. Um, did you just like stay with a friend out there? No, uh, there was like uh, people associated with the festival who were willing to like host people so uh an alaska-based comic let me stay in his like guest room and he was a cool guy and i i was like well they had like uh they had like rented this house for some of the comics so i was like hoping i could get in there and they were like nope that's full so then i was like kind of bummed that i doesn't i wasn't going to get to stay with people i knew but i was like well you know, I'll stay with this other guy, but then, you know, because I think I'd never been to Alaska, and he was like, oh, let's, I'll take you places, I'll show you cool things that you should see, so that, that ended up working out good, like, I got to go see, and not, not close, but I went to, like, a place where I could see Denali out in the distance, that was pretty sweet. Oh, man, I'm so jealous, Denali's, like, toward the top of my list, there's, I still haven't been to Alaska, and that was my original, um, plans for 2020 before COVID hit, but I originally I was going to fly out and do a marathon in Anchorage and um, it would have been on the uh, summer equinox. So it would have been like the longest day of the year. So it would have been like bright outside for 23 hours of the day or something like that. So it's just, <laughs> which I was like, man, that would be so wild to experience. I know people out in Alaska, like after a while, I get kind of sick of it because it's just always bright all the time in the summer. And they got like these <laughs> black shades that just like stop the sunlight from coming in because they're just like, I can't get any sleep otherwise. <laughs> like, yeah, I have a friend who lives out there or I believe he still lives out there and I think he's moving back soon. But um, yeah, I mean, she's the pictures he posts from out there. Just unreal. I mean, he'll just be you know, by this river and he'll just take a video of this grizzly bear just like <laughs> going through the water. I mean, he's very nature and outdoorsy and stuff. I'm sure he'd hike pretty far to get to some of these places and stuff, but still so cool that it's just like the landscape's still very just like untouched and natural. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Does he live in Anchorage? Uh, yeah. He, uh, yeah, I believe he lives in Anchorage. Yep. And, um, originally I was going to like stay with either him or like one of his friends or something like that. It's like three quarters of the population of Alaska lives in Anchorage. <laughs> I know. I, it's so funny because I just watched a documentary on like the last blockbuster. And it's so funny because I think 
uh, of the, like the remaining four that were left or something, like three were in Alaska. <laughs> like, and then those closed down. And then the last remaining one is in Bend, Oregon, which uh, I was so bummed about, though, because I was just in Bend last year and I didn't even think to go. So I, I'm, I think I might make a special trip to go to that last blockbuster before they... Uh, before they close so oh yeah hopefully i'm able to get out there um before that happens yeah well, I, I would definitely i want to get back to alaska someday like i mean i i only went to anchorage and we did take like a trip to see like we went to a wildlife conservatory thing and saw some of like nature but um yeah i want to go to like fairbanks i want to see denali up close yeah definitely um yeah uh denali looks amazing and then uh Gates of the Arctic is out there too, which I guess is the biggest national park. And it's also, I think, one of the least visited. And it's just basically just the rugged Alaskan wilderness. After doing some research, it looks like Wrangell St. Elias National Park and Preserve is actually the largest national park in the U.S., which is also in Alaska. At 13.2 million acres, it's larger than Yellowstone, Yosemite, and Switzerland combined. Gates of the Arctic comes in second at 8.5 million acres. It sounds so cool, though. I mean, obviously a lot of ground to cover there, but, you know, just to even drive through some of it or do some of the trails. and Yeah. Have you ever watched Ken Burns, like, docu- or I guess they're films or documentary films? I actually haven't, um, but no, I, I definitely need to. Like, I like his, you know, I, I was always, I liked his Civil War thing. So I was like, the National Parks, like, oh, what's that about? That's like one of the best ones. It's so cool. Like, cause it's like the history and then you're like seeing all these things. And Alaska was like the last place to get parks. It was in like the 1970s. The federal government was just like, yep, we're making all this stuff into parks. Some people were like, no, like that there's like a deep distrust of like the federal government out there among some people. They're like very opposed to it and i feel like now they're like oh well now we have all this preserved land that's kind of (laughs) nice you know but yeah definitely yeah that's funny i can see people being like divided with that and everything but uh yeah no um it's funny because i never really like it's not that i i wasn't into national parks but i just didn't really think much about them until i started going to some you know back in like 2016 and i went to the badlands and then you know, went and saw the Grand Canyon and Yellowstone and stuff like that. And I was like, man, these are so cool. And like, and I just got obsessed with them and then just wanted to go to as many as I could. So Alaska is very high up on the list. You were working at some of them over the summer, right? I was, uh, or I, I went on like a, like a RV trip and just like took a GoPro and just like made some videos and stuff while I was out there and everything. But, um, I figured that was like the best way during COVID times to like, stay safe and everything because i was just in an rv like sleeping there every night with like people i was quarantining with and stuff and it worked out really well i mean uh you know just went out hiking and stuff like that and then just like you know when i got food and stuff like that i just sat like to go orders at places and stuff like that and we just like ate in the rv and then just drove and we covered a lot of ground too we were gone a little under two weeks but i mean we were we went as far west as Idaho, just driving the whole way, and it was so cool, like, just stopping along at all these parks, just making rough destinations, you know, get to see some really cool, like, Americana stuff that I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll check it out someday, and then i just like, no, let's let's actually stop there. We're going to be, like, a few hours away or wow, something, yeah. like, making these, like, pit stops and stuff, and we did what we could with the pandemic. I mean, it was kind of 
poorly timed in some way just because like um it happened to be going on like the same time as Sturgis and like so a bunch of people flocked to you know South Dakota and like and they don't really care about you know keeping their distance or anything <laughs> so like i just want to get out of here and <laughs> yeah i hear you but no it was really fun overall though like we you know um we did quite a bit in the time that we had and given the circumstance of everything so extremely thankful for that i know you released your live album i do what i want now around this time last year yeah how has the response been since releasing it yeah i've heard a lot of positive things but yeah, I don't know how much it's. I don't know how how much it's actually, you know, moved around because it's it's. I haven't been able to really like promote it. <laughs> like, yeah, the, there was no <laughs> no shows where I could try to get people to buy it. And so yeah, I've tried yeah. to like post about it on social media and stuff, but yeah, no, that's a good point because it was just kind of at that sweet spot in time to where you know COVID kind of hit pretty soon after where you it would be like the perfect time to do like you know, promote it at your shows or just, you know, have it for sale there and stuff. So that, yeah, I totally get what you mean. But yeah, I, I was actually at the uh, recording of it, um, got to experience that. So that was definitely really cool to do. Yeah, um, I appreciate you being there. Yeah, definitely. You could probably hear me chuckling at some point in it, like at 38 minutes in or something randomly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just tell people that like, oh yeah, if you listen close, you can hear me you know, laughing at 38 minutes and 24 seconds in. I've heard, I recognize some people, like some people's laughs from it, but I haven't listened to it in a while, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, well, cool. Um, is there like uh, anything that... My cat's trying to rip the headphones out of my ear right now. <laughs> I was wondering where that like interesting like feedback was coming from. It almost sounded like you were like shuffling papers or something. It's like, oh, are you taking notes? Yeah, I think he wants me to feed him, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. Well, um, yeah, I guess we'll wrap this up and everything. Um, Is there anything that, you know, I may have forgot to ask about or anything you wanted to touch on? Um, No, I think this was good. I, Yeah, I, I, I'll have to check out your show so I kind of <laughs> see how, how this fits with everything else you're doing. Um, Yeah, I hope I hope I answered everything you wanted to talk about. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, no, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to put all this together and everything. Now, uh, where can people, uh, find out about your upcoming events or where to pick up, uh, I Do What I Want Now? Um, I Do What I Want Now is available on, uh, you know, any, any place you can buy digital music, um, so Amazon, I, iTunes, um, it, it's on Spotify, uh, I, I guess I, I don't know how much I get paid for that, but, you know, if you want to just hear it and, you know. Like, that's fine, you know, like, listen to it, maybe tell other people about it, so, you know, kind of spreads that way. Um, but yeah, definitely buying it would be cool, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'd be the ideal choice, for sure. <laughs> you know, maybe eventually I'll get physical copies, so when I can do physical shows again. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And then, you know, like, I'll, I'm sure I'll get patsievert.com working again, and, you know, beyond that, you know, I'm on Facebook, and, you know, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. No, that sounds good. I'm excited to hear all those updates. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I hope to do a podcast eventually. I used to do one, uh, but kind of fell off. And then, um, I want to do like kind of a historical thing and you know, it's, it's something I could do whenever I just have to actually have the motivation to do it. 
a lot of a lot of comedians started podcasting as soon as the pandemic started, uh, and I didn't jump on it yet. So now it's like, oh, if I do, am I just going to be another bandwagon person? <laughs> but no, I, I'm confident you did put your own unique spin on it. I think I think a history podcast with with comedy splash and would definitely be a really good fit for sure. Um, and I'm confident you can make that work. It's going to be called Pat Siebert's Presidential Fitness Test. And each one is about a president and uh, kind of, you know, have like a, I'm hoping funny, you know, comedian. So it could be somewhat funny too. And, you know, we'll talk about the presidents and like see, you know, hopefully it's, you know, someone they didn't know much about. So we can talk about that. And I don't know. I have some ideas that I think it'll be fun. Yeah. No, that'd be really cool. Um, yeah. It's, it's, no, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, I started going to more like, in my national park thing, I started going to more like national historic sites and stuff like that. And I went to like, um, Taft's house and, uh, like in, in, uh, Ohio and just like, and it's just cool to see the backstory on some of these presidents and, uh, some of that and like learn a lot about, you know, their upbringing and some of their history. And no, it's, it's super cool. I always love learning about that stuff. So I would love to, I'd definitely be interested in, in hearing that, especially having a, comedic twist on some of it <laughs> yep awesome well i'll let you i'll let you go and i'll let you feed your cat now <laughs> but it's such a pleasure talking to you pat i'm glad you're able to join and take the time for this cool thanks for having me definitely i'll see you Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the show. A link to Pat's live album, I Do What I Want Now, can be found in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review for the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast. Any feedback is always welcome and appreciated. If you're an entrepreneur, creator, or live an interesting lifestyle, send an email to juxtaposedjourneys at gmail.com with a brief description for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. The Juxtaposed Journeys logo was designed by Darius Norwood. The website was designed by Elise Benner, and music has been provided by Young Pioneer. Editing, mixing, and interviews are conducted by yours truly, Eric Spitz. Thank you for listening, and remember to never stop exploring.